Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 4 of Jock of the Bushveld. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.com. Dot org. Reading by Susie S.A. Jock of the Bushveld by Sir Percy Fitzpatrick. Chapter 4 The Pick of the Puppies. There were six puppies, and as the wagons were empty, we fixed up a roomy nest in one of them for Jess and her family. There was no trouble with Jess, nobody interfered with her, and she interfered with nobody. The boys kept clear of her, but we used to look at her and the puppies as we walked along with the wagons, so by degrees she got to know that we would not harm them and she no longer wanted to eat us alive if we went near and talked to her. Five of the puppies were fat, strong, yellow little chaps with dark muzzles, just like their father, as Ted said, and their father was an imported dog, and was always spoken of as the best dog of the breed that had ever been in the country. I never saw him, so I do not really know what he was like. Perhaps he was not a yellow dog at all, but whatever he was, he had at that time a great reputation because he was imported, and there were not half a dozen imported dogs in the whole of the Transvaal Inn. Many people used to ask what breed the puppies were. I suppose it was because poor, cross, faithful old Jess was not much to look at, and because no one had a very high opinion of yellow dogs in general, and nobody seemed to remember any famous yellow bull terriers. They used to smile in a queer way when they asked the question, as if they were going to get off a joke, but when we answered, just like their father, Buchanan's imported dog, the smile disappeared, and they would give a whistle of surprise and say, By Jove! and immediately begin to examine the five yellow puppies, remark upon their ears and noses and legs, and praise them up until we were all as proud as if they belonged to us. Jess looked after her puppies and knew nothing about the remarks that were made, so they did not worry her. But I often looked at the faithful old thing with her dark brindled face, cross-looking eyes and always moving ears, and thought it jolly hard lines that nobody had a good word for her. It seemed rough on her that everyone should be glad that there was only one puppy at all like the mother, the sixth one, a poor, miserable little rash of a thing about half the size of the others. He was not yellow like them, nor dark brindled like Jess, but a sort of dirty, pale, half-and-half colour with some dark, faint, wavy lines all over him, as if he had tried to be brindled and failed, and he had a dark, sharp, wizened little muzzle that looked shrivelled up with age. Most of the fellows said it would be a good thing to drown the odd one, because he spoilt the litter and made them look as though they were not really thoroughbred, and because he was such a miserable little rat that he was not worth saving anyhow. But in the end he was allowed to live. I believe no one fancied the job of taking one of Jess's puppies away from her. Moreover, as any dog was better than none, 
I offered to take him rather than let him be drowned. Ted had old friends to whom he had already promised the pick of the puppies, so when I came along it was too late, and all he could promise me was that if there should be one over, I might have it. As they grew older and were able to crawl around, they were taken off the wagons when we outspanned and were put on the ground. Jess got to understand this at once, and she used to watch us quietly as we took them in our hands to put them down or lift them back up again. When they were two or three weeks old, a man came to the wagons who talked a great deal about dogs, and appeared to know what had to be done. He said the puppy's tails ought to be docked, and that a bull terrier would be no class at all with a long tail, but you should on no account clip his ears. I thought he was talking of fox terriers, and that with bull terriers the position was the other way round at the time, but he said it was the thing in England, and nobody contradicted him. I shut up. We found afterwards that he had made a mistake, but it was too late then, and Jess's puppies started life as bull terriers up to date with long ears and short tails. I felt sure from the beginning that all the yellow puppies would be claimed, and I should have to take the odd one, or none at all. So I began to look upon him as mine already, and to take interest in him and look after him. A long time ago somebody wrote that the sense of possession turned sand into gold, and it was one of the truest things ever said. Until it seemed that this queer-looking odd puppy was going to be mine, I used to think and say very much what the others did, but with this difference that I always felt sorry for him, and sorry for Jess too, because he was like her and not like the father. I used to think that perhaps if he were given a chance he might grow up like poor old Jess herself, ugly, cross and unpopular, but brave and faithful. I felt sorry for him too, because he was so small and weak, and the other five big puppies used to push him away from his food and trample on him, and when they were old enough to play they used to pull him about by his ears and pack on him, three or four to one, and bully him horribly. Many a time I rescued him, and many a time gave him a little preserved milk and water with bread soaked in it, when the others had shouldered him out and eaten everything. After a little while, when my chance of getting one of the good puppies seemed hopeless, and I got used to the ideas that I'd have to take the odd one, I began to notice little things about him that no one else noticed, and got to be quite fond of the little beggar, in a kind of way. Perhaps I was turning my sand into gold and my geese into swans, Perhaps I grew fond of him simply because, finding him lonely and with no one else to depend on, I befriended him, and perhaps it was because he was always cheerful and plucky, and it seemed as if there might be some good stuff in him after all. Those were the things I used to think of sometimes when feeding the little outcast. The other puppies would tumble him over and take his food from him. They would bump into him when he was stooping over the dish of milk and porridge, and his head was so big and his legs so weak that he would tip up and go head over heels into his dish. We were always picking him out of the food and scraping it off him. Half the time he was wet and sticky, and the other half covered with porridge and sand baked hard by the sun. One day, just after the wagons had started, as I took a final look round the outspan place to see if anything had been forgotten, I found the little chap, who was only about four inches high, struggling to walk through the long grass. He was not big enough or strong enough to push his way. Even the stems of the down-trodden grass tripped him, and he stumbled and floundered at every step. But he got up again each time with his little tail standing straight up, his head erect, and his ears cocked. He looked such a ridiculous sight that his little tragedy of lost in the felt was forgotten. One could only laugh. What he thought he was doing, goodness only knows— he looked as proud and important as if he owned the whole world, and knew that everyone in it was watching him. The poor little chap could not see a yard in that grass, and in any case he was not old enough to see much or understand anything, for
for his eyes still had that bluish blind look that all very young puppies have but he was marching along as full of confidence as a general at the head of his army how he fell out of the wagon no one knew perhaps the big puppies tumbled him out or he may have tried to follow jess or have climbed over the tailboard to see what was on the other side for he was always going off exploring by himself his little world was small it may be only the bed plank of a wagon and a few square yards of ground on which they were dumped at the outspans but he took it as seriously as any explorer who ever tackled a continent the others were a bit more softened towards the odd puppy when i caught up to the wagons and told them of his valiant struggle to follow and the man who had docked the puppy's tails aloud i believe that rat's got pluck whatever else is the matter with him for he was the only one that didn't howl when i snipped them the little cuss just gave a grunt and turned round as if he wanted to eat me i think he'd be a terrible angry if he hadn't been so surprised pity he's such an awful-looking mongrel but no one else said a good word for him he was really beneath notice and if they ever had to speak about him they called him the rat there was no doubt about it he was extremely ugly and instead of improving as he grew older he became worse yet i could not help liking him and looking after him sometimes feeling sorry for him sometimes being tremendously amused and sometimes wonderful to relate really admiring him he was extraordinarily silent while the others barked at nothing howled when lonely and yelled when frightened or hurt the odd puppy did none of these things in fact he began to show many of jess's peculiarities he hardly ever barked and when he did it was not a wild exciting string of barks but little suppressed muffled noises half bark and half growl and just one or two at a time and he did not appear to be afraid of anything so one could not tell what he would do if he was one day we had an amusing instance of his nerve one of the oxen sniffing about the outspan caught sight of him all alone and filled with curiosity came up to examine him as a hulking silly old tame ox will do it moved towards him slowly and heavily with his ears spread wide and his head down giving great big sniffs at the 